0: Hey guys, this is Josh. I just wanted to uh, get us a little bit of a recap on our week three of apologetics. Um, We had uh, something happen with the recording, so I just wanted to hop on and and give you a recap in case you didn't get to be there that night um, and you're binging through these. So um, that week we talked about uh, the concept of the fine-tuning and the fact that that God was uh, very intentional in how he made everything. Um, but first, I just wanted to give a little background on, on what we've been going through here. Um, Chris Hilkin is uh, the guy that we've been following his curriculum from uh, Parents' Guide to Apologetics. And he says this, he says, The pursuit of apologetics is so much more than an emotional endeavor. It's an intellectual endeavor. You don't have to check your brain at the door to follow God, and that's so true, and that's what we've been trying to get at with this entire series, is that um, you don't have to check your brain at the door to follow God. You can dig in deep to these things and learn something, and and you can get to the point where you understand how God did it better, and it doesn't have to shake your faith, because uh, you've been trusting God the entire time, and He's helped walk you through some of these things in apologetics, so... Again, apologetics is is just the study of why we believe what we believe. And so, as we continue in this, I just want to read this, this passage of Scripture here from First uh, Peter 3, uh, verse 14 through 16. It says this, But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame so <clears throat> that 's what we 're talking about with this whole series is that we should be ready at any time to give a defense for why we believe what we believe, um, but what I want to emphasize most in in this Um, in this section in week three is that we should do this with gentleness and reverence, as it says in verse 16 there. Do this with gentleness and reverence. Because when you get into some of this stuff, especially the argument of design or teleology, as we're going to call it, um, it can make them look very foolish. and It can be very harsh with it and uh, unkind to the people that we're trying to talk to and and share our our beliefs and our our findings with, and um, we don't want to do that. We want to represent Christ well, and so the argument of design or teleology um, is something like this: it says that chances of complex life on Earth uh, appearing accidentally are ridiculously low. So we're going to talk about uh, that here, and we're going to give three possibilities for how the fine tuning of the universe might have come about. And there's three possibilities. One is out of physical necessity. We'll, th- we'll talk through each of these, but fi- uh, the first one is physical necessity. The second one is just random chance. And the third one is through intelligent design. So the first one here, uh, physical necessity. It just means that we have the level of complexity that we have In the universe because it had to be that way in order for us to exist so in in the infinite um nature of the universe that that naturalism holds to that there was never a beginning and there was never an end um we just happened upon it kind of bleeds over into chance or random chance a little bit um physical necessity really looks at what we have and says well we have what we have because of all of these things and all of these um, things that we're going to get into here, um, it's kind of hard to explain. So another way that I've thought about it is that we're able to observe this level of perfection because we landed at the point in eternal history when it actually happened. So the only reason that we're able to observe it is because we are where we are (laughs) and things happened how they happened. So it kind of bleeds into random chance a little bit. And there's other guys that can explain that one much better than I can. Uh, but that's my best way of really kind of getting at that one. The next one is random chance. So on Wednesday, I had uh, Tyson come up and I had a, a a box of puzzle pieces. And so I had him come up and and dump them out on the floor. And I said, you know, well, why why didn't you get it right the first time? You know. Maybe, maybe if you put it back in the box and, and you dump it on the floor again, they'll they'll land right in place and you'll get the picture just like it is on the box. And So he started picking them up and I'm like, dude, I'm just kidding. Even, even if we did that an infinitesimal amount of times, obviously that's never going to actually come together in the way that it shows on the box, the way that it was designed to come together because it takes a certain amount of intelligence and creativity and trial and error in order to make these things happen, in order to make sure you've got the, the tiles flipped over in the right direction, and that they're turned at the exact right angle in order to fit together, and then you've got to click them together, and there's just so many different variables, and that's just talking about a 100-piece puzzle. So you can kind of get at the level of complexity that we see in Random Chance. Now, imagine that you've got an amp, like for a guitar, and instead of just a few knobs on it that go up to 11, you've got billions of knobs on it. And that each, each knob goes up to a billion on, on this knob, and there's, there's a billion little um, intervals that you, can, that you can select. And each of those have to be exactly where they need to be in order to get the perfect sound. That's a lot like how uh, the the design, the intelligent design uh, model ends up happening, is that we would have to have billions of knobs be exactly where they need to be for us to have life, much less intelligent life to where we can observe anything that we are experiencing. So one of those billions of knobs would be and these these billions of knobs that we look at when we when we look at teleology is um, the the different constants within um, science that we need to have be there in order for this all to happen. And one of those is the expansion rate of the universe. So the the universe is expanding faster and faster. It's not slowing down like you would think it would, um, and it's not going at the same rate because maybe space is you know, not slowing it down, and so there's nothing to slow it down because there's no gravity or anything. No, it's actually going faster. And so you start to see certain things like dark matter and, and things that are affecting that. But the main thing that we need to know is that there is a they set value for the expansion rate of the universe, and we're able to observe that. And so the expansion rate of the universe is just one knob that needs to be right because if it was expanding too fast, then we wouldn't get any stars or galaxies. And and when we talk about the expansion, we're talking about from the Big Bang out. When, the, when that happened, if it expanded too fast, then we wouldn't have any of the groupings and, and stars and galaxies and, and clusters and things that we have because everything would have exploded too fast and they never would have been able to gravitate together and swirl together in this perfect, beautiful mess that we call the universe. And if they were too slow, then it would crumple in on itself and implode, and it would never have created anything either. And so we hit that exact perfect spot in the middle, um, and it happened at the exact speed it needed to happen so that everything didn't either implode on itself or expand too fast uh, to form anything meaningful like galaxies or planets. So that's just one knob. So imagine there's billions of knobs that need to be exactly like that. The chances of one of those knobs being in place correctly is it, it, it's an astronomical um, number. It's 1 in 10 to the 10 raised to the 123rd power. So if you're talking about flipping a coin, you're really not even sure about that. on If you're going to get heads or tails and you're kind of praying on the way down, right? And that's 50-50. This is 1 in 10 to the 10th power raised to the 123rd power, that one of those knobs is in place correctly. And there's billions of those knobs. And we are still discovering how ridiculous this random chance model is. The more that we dig into it, the more we realize that most self-respecting scientists um, that that spent enough time honestly studying the complexity and, and ridiculous chance of it it, they admit that the numbers are "quote unquote" disturbing. So, and and this is scientists that are either trying to disprove God or they um, just don't believe in God and are seemingly trying to avoid um, intelligent design as an answer and try to find any other means necessary to prove it otherwise. They would say that these numbers are disturbing. So, why are they disturbing? Why aren't they encouraging or hopeful or any of those other words that we could use? Well, to them, they're disturbing because it forces them to take intelligent design seriously and to reject physical necessity and random chance as possibilities. So the important thing to realize here is that This teleology brings us to a point of believing in a God or a higher power. It's not necessarily Yahweh God that we worship, but some higher power had to be involved. And it gets a little crazy when you dig into (coughs) theoretical physics and and they really start to just make stuff up as they go. And they go into multiverse models and and different, um, even aliens and, and things that they think may have planted us exactly where we need to be. And when you start to look at that, it's like, well, yeah, if you believe in extra dimensions and, and multiverses and things like that, that's probably what heaven is. It's probably a a form of existence outside of our own, um, outside of our um, time-space continuum and, and, and matter. And we believe that. We believe that God is outside of time and and creation itself because he is the creator and we are the created Um and so it's just so much easier for us to look at scripture and realize that He did it, you know? And and instead of trying to avoid that, just accept it and and see that as something beautiful and hopeful and something for it to be worshipped. So I want to go into a few points here within intelligent design, and we're this is where we're gonna hit on that that point here. The first point is that God created Everything, absolutely everything. Psalms nineteen one through two says the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech night after night they communicate knowledge. So Earth is at twenty three point five degrees on its axis. If it was at twenty three point seven or twenty three point three degrees, it would affect our tides and our our distance from the moon in a way that life would have been unredeemable. And if the earth was any closer or further from the sun, we wouldn't have the right temperature on earth to sustain life. And beyond that, the sun is a G2 dwarf star, which is a very specific type of star that it didn't have to be that type of a star, but it is, and it's necessary For us to have life. And outside of that, even within our solar system, there's things that are designed to protect Earth. Like Jupiter. Jupiter protects us from dangerous debris by essentially acting as a vacuum. Because it's just so dense and the gravitational pull is so strong because it's massive. um, That it sucks everything in. And we're still discovering moons on Jupiter uh, because things are, are getting sucked into it. And I don't know if you knew this, but Jupiter also has... Uh, a ring set like uh, Saturn and and I believe Neptune and Uranus also have them, but I didn't realize that Jupiter also had one as well. So he created absolutely everything. And we can see that within these levels of design, even within our own solar system, that we can study very closely and we don't have to uh, make things up as we go because things are light years and galaxies away. This is within our own solar system. It's really not that far. We've already traveled to the moon as human beings. And we can study these things. And the second point is that God created you. Luke twelve six through 7 says this, Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So when you look at that, we realize, I want to highlight that phrase, the hairs of your head are all counted. God knows you so intimately, and he knows what he did because he He spent, he, he did what was necessary to have all of those details put in place, and he was very intimate in his, his design of what you and he knows you better than you know yourself for sure um, but better than anything could possibly know you because he created you he's your creator Um, I use this analogy a lot but if in comparison we are clay jars and he is the potter so we are inanimate objects in how we perceive things and how we understand things and he is the potter in comparison to that that we have no ability of of recognizing things from his perspective. But yet he created you and he's the one that knows you that well. So just to dig into that a little bit more of you specifically. So God created everything. He also created you. Did you know that there are more electrical connections in your brain than there are in the entire county of Los Angeles? Of the city, the county. That's ridiculous. And then you look at other things within the body, like the irreducible complexity of the eye and how it focuses and, and adjusts to light and how the eyes work together and flip the the picture and all these different fine-tuned things that don't really add up when you look at the theory of, of evolution. And, and there's adjustments that have been made to the eye over time, but not to this level, and it, you can realize that when you look at this quote from from Charles Darwin, which is that he says this, to suppose that the eye with all its inevitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction and of spherical and chromatic aberration, or like colors, essentially what he's saying there, The fact that it could have formed by natural selection seems, I confess, absurd in the highest degree. The difficulty of believing that a perfect and complex eye could be formed by natural selection, though insuperable by our imagination, should not be considered subversive to the theory. That's Charles Darwin, the inventor of evolution. So even he looks at certain things within creation and realizes that his theory doesn't account for those things. There's a certain level of design that had to have happened in order for these things to come about. Francis Collins is a theist that is highly respected in the scientific community. We talked about him last week a little bit. Um, But he wrote a book and in that book, he says this, the sequencing, um, in sequencing the entire human genome, which is what he's known for, the DNA code, it looks as though God has written a book and it's not like a just a complicated book but it's it's like a multi volume encyclopedia and how it all ties together and you you just see how how certain things look back on itself as you know just the literary beauty of when you get a really good book and you see how it all ties together or a series or um you look at like the mcu <laughs> and you see all these different connections that are made to different movies and and how the storylines weave together and things like that that is the level of complexity that he studied within the human genome so why did god create us so intimately and intricately why did he do this for us because he loves us and our purpose is to proclaim his glory just as loudly as the rest of creation does. But to also do it out of our own free will, as an act of worship. Our entire purpose for being here is to worship this incredible God, this God that, that created us out of love from nothing. He created everything and he created us. And our last point that I want to get into in intelligent design here is that he has a purpose for you. And we kind of talked about that with the fact that we are here to worship him. But Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So what what are those good works? What does that look like? What is my purpose? Why am I here? So just based on what we've studied today, our purpose is to do a few things here. One is to stand strong in your assurance that God created everything. Next is that we need to live in a way that reflects his amazing attributes found in Scripture. And then lastly, our purpose is to love and worship him with all of our heart, and all of our soul, and all of our mind, and all of our strength. Just as as Jesus taught us is the, the first and greatest commandment, and the next is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's our purpose. To stand strong in assurance that God created everything. Live in a way that reflects his amazing attributes found in Scripture and in creation. And then love and worship him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind, especially in all of our strength. That we can look at creation and see who he is, and we can look to scripture that he gave to us this love letter, this long form love letter that he wrote to us, and just see it for what it is and thank him for it. And it should bring us to a place of worship. So maybe a a level of application here is to get out of this podcast and go click on a a worship playlist and just spend some time in worship of him. Maybe start with So Will I. That's a great song to look at the complexity of his creation and say, God, I'm going to worship you just like the rest of creation does. Because they don't have a choice, but I do. And I love you. And I want to show you that. So maybe just take a moment and do that. But first, I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you so much for the complexity of your creation. Thank you for the beauty of it. And thank you that you have created us in love because you want a relationship with us. So much so that you sent your son to die for us so that we could have that relationship with you forever. And someday we will spend eternity with you if we have accepted that sacrifice on the cross for us. Help us to make that choice if we haven't already, that that you are worth following, you are worth seeing for The amazing creator God that you are. And help us to worship you with our lives. Pray these things in your name. Amen.